Hello and welcome to the Lost World Minute, the Minimal Minute podcast reviewing 997 sequel Jurassic Park one minute time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're back to discuss Minute 89 of Lost World. Dave, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, the first week we missed, I was off in the wasteland uh, checking out some of the filming locations for Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, which um, it was fantastic. Just like, just how desolate. Nothing's growing out there. <laughs> I found I found some geckos sort of in amongst some bushes, but um, I don't even come across some kangaroos and emus and, and goats as well. So th- there is life out there, but just it's such a barren, barren area. And it's one of those things, sort of looking at your favourite movies, how many of them aren't on a soundstage or aren't on a green screen? You can actually visit the locations. I think one big one you'd probably agree with is like the... Uh, uh, Luke's house on Tatooine. I can't remember. Yeah, is it Tunisia? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, like stuff, stuff like that. Where back in the seventies and eighties, they actually went to real locations to film a lot of this stuff, and not like now where it's all on green screen or um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like even I was discussing with a couple of fans of Jurassic Park after I got back, um, just how great it'd be to go to Hawaii, but. Unless you've uh, got some time or some money to hike into some of those remote locations for Jurassic Park shooting areas, a lot of the other stuff's either on private property or just not accessible. Yeah, um, it's sad. Which is why it's so great that The Lost World filmed in the Redwoods, because that is public land that belongs to everybody. It's, it's national and state parks out there. Yeah. And... So you can... You can go out there. You can go anywhere as long as usually they want you to stay on the trail mm. because they don't want you trudging, smashing, breaking. Uh, if you bend a, uh, to take a page out of Sarah Harding, if you <laughs> bend a blade of grass, you've got to bend it right back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I mean, so much of it is. I mean, those are the those are the, like some of the last redwoods on Earth, and you got it where where these things in the Cretaceous used to be widespread they're just a couple of groves now mm. so you got to be careful out there yeah so you, the rangers don't catch you going off trail too much yeah and like we sort of talked about and even some of the photos you've shown for those earlier minutes where we were in the redwoods in the film um and even I've I've seen the same thing sort of going out and visit some of the Mad Max locations just how they they'll set up in a certain area and they'll go back and forth a couple of times to and make it look a little bit different to make it look like one continuous sort of scene, um, yeah. like behind the lookout using the lookout first for the gatherers to look down over the hunters as they're doing the roundup, and then later when they're trekking through the jungle and Sarah's got the blood on her jacket and then on the fern that's right behind that lookout again, um, mm-hmm. just or... coming back the other way so. Or a big tree wayside, they literally passed the same tree twice in the movie. Yeah. You just never realize it because, and at the beginning, the uh, redwoods are filled with so much sun and lovely beauty. It the next time they pass this tree, it's covered in fog and it's kind of dark and gloomy, and it's that great contrast that I think is what is part of what makes these first two Jurassic Park movies great. Something about Dean Cundey and Yanis Kaminsky did with Jurassic Park and Lost World respectively is that they, once things go to pot, they kind of evoke it through the mood of the film. You can see that this kind of tropical, beautiful island is now turned deadly and scary. Mm, yep. And it's one thing that's not really picked up in the uh, in the movie, but in the novel, a lot of the carnivores are nocturnal. 
Um, mm-hmm. So as that sun starts to disappear and the jungle goes dark, that's when you really, the danger really comes out. Exactly. But yeah, and that's that's the same. I'd, I'd assume the same with the Stegosaur Creek and the ravine where Dita meets his end. Are probably very similar in location as well. Mm, not so much actually. Uh, the Stegosaur Creek was filmed in near uh, Big Tree Wayside, um, where they do the trek back to the camp at the beginning afterwards. Yep. It was kind of filmed, not really off trail, but they kind of covered up a bridge that goes over this little creek and um, then filmed it there. Hmm. Whereas Dieter's Demise was filmed kind of a couple miles away up in Fern Canyon in a different creek bed. Yeah. But the, but again, like that's it's all on National Park there. You can go, you can go to those locations as long as you sort yeah, of respect exactly. the area. Um, mm-hmm. Which is just great. Like mm-hmm. you, you try going to the location of the Avery in <laughs> Jurassic Park Three, or um, or even the Raptor, the Raptor pens in, or the Raptor training area in Jurassic World. They just don't exist. They, they'll shot on Seven Flags in uh, Lando and had the island uh, CG'd in the background. So, mm-hmm. well, another thing is that um, in the first Jurassic Park, a lot of that they filmed in. Like you said, they filmed that private property. There's only a handful of locations that I can remember that they didn't. Um, that that is the um, Kahili Ranch where they filmed the Gallimimus Valley, and that they offer tours there. Hmm. There was Blue Hole, which is you can uh, you can it's a service road, but you can drive up there, and they'll let you drive up there. That's not somebody's property. Okay. There was um, the falls, which I believe were, they offer two, they, it's like really remote, you'd have to take a helicopter to get there, but they do offer tours there. But the rest of it, yeah, there's all private property. Even in Jurassic Park, or I mean, even in The Lost World, um, Kathy's Beach was filmed just outside private property, Jurassic Kahili, or no, Kibikai Ranch, which incidentally... Um, Indiana Jones, the the when the natives uh, chase Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's Kipikai. And then the end scene of The Lost World was on Kipikai Ranch. But the beach there is public access. You can take a boat there. If the, if the seas are <laughs> faring in your favor. Yeah, really. Um, especially because I know that the ranchers don't like you going past the tree line, which is their property. Yep. But yeah, there's some kind of law in Hawaii where all beaches are public access. Yeah, well that's sort of one thing here with a couple of major rivers. You sort of, I think it's a 15 or 20 metre um, in, inland from the, the water's edge that's deemed public or public prop, uh, public land. Um, mm-hmm. So, and you can, that's why you can, you can get in canoes or boats and go sailing down the, down the river and spend a night on the side of the riverbank and the farmer might not be happy, but it's, that's the law. As long as you take your rubbish and that with you and don't set the place mm-hmm. on fire. Um, oh, yeah, that's definitely a rule of camping. Always leave it better than you found it, you know? Yeah, yep. Happy, darling. Lunch is ready. But anyway, locations aside, toys. Let's talk some toys. Oh, yeah. Fallen Kingdom figures have been coming out everywhere. Mexico mainly, but I, they are getting out in the U.S. now, aren't they? Uh, I think they found some in Texas, which is, yeah, just close to, Me- which is, like, right on the border there in Mexico. Yep. 
Yep. So, yeah, they're starting to slowly inch their way north. Mm. And the great thing is, too, they're coming out, they're looking just like the samples we saw at Toy Fair. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, the other night I bought one, I bought a Chomping Rex, which is, no, the Extreme Chomping Rex, which is about, it's uh, one of them, I think, it's not going to be a Mexico exclusive, but it's going to be the Legacy Line exclusive. And so we probably won't see those till the fall here in the States when the Legacy Line uh, is released. So I actually bought one from a friend who lives in Mexico because she's getting them already. Mm. Yeah, the the Legacy Line's not going to come out the same time as the the Fallen Kingdom Line, just so they're not clashing. They'll let the Fallen Kingdom Line do its thing, and then the Legacy Line coming after afterwards, which is great to hear that it's going to be a continuous line. It's not just going to be for a couple of months after the movie, and that's it until Jurassic Park or Jurassic World 3. It's going to be a continuous thing, so whatever figures we don't know of yet or don't see yet, they're going to come eventually. They're going to keep on, just like mm-hmm. the Black Series and that, they're going to keep on pumping out figures every few yeah. months for that, which will be great Like once we start getting vehicles, because we know all the Mattel characters and vehicles are sort of intermingled. All the characters can go in the vehicles, so explorers, jeeps, all more jeeps, all that stuff's going to come down the line. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping there's a RV there somewhere. Yeah, I know. Th- I know that Alan Grant, Ellie, and um, Muldoon have been teased. Have all been teased by Mattel. They did a lineup that those three and they look. And I think Grant was getting attacked by compies in that picture. There's that. There's that lineup where we got to see the main line and then Mattel snuck a few of the Legacy line action figures in there. Yeah, there's like they got they got a standard little like a Coelophysis or something because it's got a real long neck. But yeah, there's some little green animal that was posed with them. That might be just mm-hmm. a stand-in for size, but um, the great thing about that grant was just the fact that it's a completely new figure. They haven't taken... Yeah. It's not a can of mould that's been repainted or anything like that. It's new mould, mm-hmm. um, updated engineering and articulation, so cannot mm-hmm. wait to see what happens with those. Uh, and uh, the Chomping Rex... Or, no, I gotta, I gotta separate it, because Hasbro made that crappy Chomping Rex. <laughs> uh, Mattel made the Extreme Chomping Rex. <laughs> Which has like this kind of cover over the neck. It's almost like a little, like a little turtleneck that is flat. That's the color of the T-Rex's flesh. It doesn't really stick out that much, but on it there's a button that you press, and the jaws open really wide. The tongue sticks out. It's the head mold that we saw teased uh, by Mattel um, when they when they showed us the mold. Oh yeah. The green yeah. T-Rex head, the tongue sticking out. Yeah. And so that's the one that we're that they're getting down in Mexico right now, and is going to be the Legacy Line T-Rex. It doesn't actually have the scars that the Jurassic World Line T-Rexes have, but still uses the same molds. It looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting how um, sometimes when they start distributing a line of toys, they sort of work their way out to some unknown areas first. Um, mm-hmm. Like one line of figures I collect at the moment of they've just hit New Zealand first. <laughs> Normally it's Malaysia or something like that before the rest of the world gets them, but no, it's just great to see they're getting out. Um, some stores mm-hmm. have broken the uh, the April release date on them, and even there's been word of some Toys R Us getting them as well, mm-hmm. possibly before their liquidation sales. So, yeah. well, I can understand that because I did hear that Toys R Us was supposed to get some exclusives, but I don't know what's going to happen with that now, if they just won't get released or if they'll get pushed to another store. Yeah. Hoping they'll get pushed to another store, because it'd be terrible if we didn't get to see them released. 
Yeah, no, agreed. It's a shame what's happened there, but uh, yeah, it's um even worse, even worse a shame. The founder actually just died about two days ago. Oh, <laughs> so it's like it's it's as if seeing his baby die killed him. It's that proverbial yeah. nail in the coffin. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. What's the matter? He didn't make it. RJ. I'm sorry. Ready. I am. Anyway, back on brighter things. Um, the pop vinyls also have been getting out. We've we've seen a lot of people been getting them. Dave, you've got your hands on a couple already as well. Yes, I did. The uh, exclusive Target uh, Doctor Ian Malcolm, where he's wounded. They kind of everybody calls him the sexy Ian Malcolm figure because <laughs> he's got his shirt open and a six pack showing. I got that figure and it went fast. Like I, within five minutes on Target, I was lucky I got one. Yeah. When I first it was it actually said it was sold out. Then I refreshed the page. And it said, and then it said that it was available, and I just bought it real quickly. Yeah. No, I was talking to a couple of fans and just said, if you want it, go and get it now, because even though it's sold out there, they um, I think they said they were going to get some new stock in, but I doubt those numbers would be anywhere near as what the initial release was. And if you're going to wait for a restock, then you're probably going to miss out again anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Well, um, even the people who bought them that at that like, it was here. It was like it was the midnight release. But that's midnight on the West Coast here. Yep. So it was 2 a.m. for me. I had to stay up for oh. 2 a.m. in order to get this thing. And even then, there was no guarantee that I would have gotten it because apparently some people, who, uh, they weren't able to get it because the stock ran out when they, when Tiger went to re- uh, fulfill their order and they had to get their money back. Wow. They were refunded on their order. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> That would be, yeah, that would be a shame at 2 o'clock in the morning you go hit send and have uh, the out-of-stock logo mm-hmm. button come up or even... Uh, it's a wonder the... or oh, I suppose they're probably ready for it, but it's a wonder the site didn't crash or anything. Normally that happens when they get a lot of people trying to buy something at once. But, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I um yeah. I also purchased... I've lay-bied or pre-ordered the uh, that Ian Malcolm and the uh, Dennis Nedra and Dilophosaur 2-pack that um, <laughs> is the exclusive. I just I was going to get the whole lot, but I thought I'll just get those two because I know they're exclusive and that way I've got them. Um, the rest of them are sort of going to be regular, really available, maybe except for Ellie and the Jeep, but um, I can get them at a later stage because last weekend I had news that I'd lost my job. <laughs> what? Yeah, so unfortunately all my Chronicle stuff was cancelled. Um, yeah. What? Uh, at the 31st of March, so Easter. Happy Easter to me, I have no more job. But um, luckily, he's, uh, the boss is trying to find something else for my truck to do, and it sounds like um, I'll have something to do. It's going to be a little bit longer hours, but uh, the pay is going to be a little bit better, which means I might be able to go back and get all those Chronicle figures back. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, the Raptor head's going to be $200 more than what I initially paid for it, but... <laughs> mm. Mm. You know what they say when they when a, when a, one door opens another or one one door closes another opens right? Yeah, yeah, and sometimes it just takes a little bit a bit of time between those doors opening and closing. <laughs> Luckily, this sh- hopefully should only be a week, so um, yeah, that's good. Quickly, while we're on the uh, the Jeff the Ian Malcolm uh, pop vinyl as well, he was on Conan O'Brien uh, a few nights ago, sort of showing off his uh, pop vinyl to uh, <laughs> to the masses. I haven't actually seen the clip, but I'd imagine it's quite quite entertaining um oh speaking of, speaking of clips 
I just remembered that NBC did a little Jurassic Park 25th anniversary thing on Saturday Night Live, which is a sitcom late night show. Or not late night, no, it's a, a, a late night sketch comedy show on uh, late nights on Saturday night that they do live. Yeah, it was an audition audition process for Jurassic Park or something, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was like fake auditions uh, for Jurassic Park. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's just great to see some of that stuff coming back into the, the mainstream media again as well. Because yeah, um, also, um, Jeff Goldblum sort of announced too that um, he's going to have a voice role in uh, Jurassic World Evolution, the game, which now has a June 2018 release date. So, nice. a couple of months' time. <laughs> And uh, we'll get we'll get to games from Jurassic World. Speaking of Jurassic Park merchandise, I just remembered I actually got my first bit of Fallen Kingdom merchandise yesterday. They first uh, it, the first Fallen Kingdom merchandise appeared around me. It was a um, eyeglass and yeah, a, pa- a pair of kid sunglasses with a sunglasses case, little vinyl sunglasses or vinyl cotton polyester sunglass case and so it's just the black Jurassic Park logo with the red background that we all know and love but then there's also a it looks like a mountain on fire we don't see the full mountain but it looks like there's cracks in the corner yeah and the trees and a darker red and then the sky above it is like yellow as if it's on fire oh nice it's actually really cool it's I. It actually fits my full size sunglasses because they were kids' sunglasses, and I, I just took <laughs> kids' sunglasses. I didn't really need them. I'll probably end up, I don't know, um, know, giving them the goodwill or something. But yeah. And then today I went to work and I saw, I found a kid who seemed to love Jurassic Park because he bought the other one. There were there's two there. there. I bought the one and he bought the other one today. And he bought a Jurassic Park uh, Lost Raptor T-shirt, so got a budding Jurassic Park collector <laughs> on our on our hands here. Oh, very nice. That's great. Some some of that stuff is just nice and cheap, and it's good for the kids yeah. to get. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it was only like ten bucks, so I had to buy it. They're leaving. I, I think they're leaving. So that's uh that's the news for the week. Um, before we get to Easter, we have two minutes to discuss. So, Dave, ready to get into minute eighty nine? Sure. All right. As we ended on minute 88 of The Lost World, Nick had got the radio call through, and we'd cut back to the ruined Ingen camp in the creek bed, as Ludlow was slowly walking towards a sleeping animal. As we start on minute 89 of The Lost World, he keeps on walking forward, past Roland, who's sitting on a log holding the tranquilizer rifle, a look of defeat on his face. At 88 minutes and 11 seconds, we cut back to the boneyard, as Ian, Sarah and Kelly start to walk past the remains of a massive animal, and then through its ribcage. Almost seamlessly, the ribcage become large metal pipes as we approach the worker village. At 88 minutes and 29 seconds, Ian walks away from the pipes and heads towards the perimeter gate leading into the village, with Sarah and Kelly holding hands behind him. At 88 minutes and 41 seconds, we get a shot down of the village, now lit up by floodlights. Red lights can be seen on top of the perimeter fence, as Ian, Sarah and Kelly make their way into the worker village. Debris litters the area, as well as several vehicles. Ian calls out Nick's name, Nick, Nick Van Owen, but there's no response. 
As Ian continues to yell Nick's name, Sarah walks past in an abandoned suburban. And as the minute ends, a large shape jumps up on top of the vehicle. And this ends minute 89 of Lost World. As we left on in minute 88, we got that shot of Ludlow sort of walking down the creek or the stream in amazement. Um, and now he sort of slowly walks past the, the camera towards the animal. And uh, as he walks past, we see Roland sitting on the log behind him, holding the tranquilizer rifle, uh, totally exhausted or deflated, it seems. Which, uh, I suppose that's more of just sort of coming to terms of RJ not making it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not sure if at this point he would know that he's not made it yet. Yeah. Because he's been in that creek bed the whole time. Yeah. Well, again, like we talked discussed earlier with some of the scripts where he actually seen it happen, um, mm-hmm. As you said, yeah, he hasn't actually left the creek bed now because he doesn't come across Ian and Co. again for the rest of the film. And that I wonder how, unless one one person survived the grass and got back there or they it's found... possible. Yeah. Because uh, Jeff Goldblum, even though he knows that there's other people in the long grass, he, uh, he does ask the helicopter guy, the helicopter pilot, what about the others? There's got to be more survivors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> another chopper coming. Yeah. So whether that whether he's referring to the helicopter that will take the T-Rex and airlift that to the venture, or if he's referring to the guys that are all um, ziplining down to the um, creek bed there with that little base camp they set up. Yeah. Well, we'll have to when we get to that minute, we can sort of have a bit deeper dive into it because. Yeah. There's that weird sort of time jump where you don't really know how much time's passed because mm-hmm. um, from memory you do see those guys zip line down and then in the next shot you've got um, Roland and Ludlow talking again and there's the helicopter parked on the helipad behind them or on the mm-hmm. on the creek bed behind them. So there's a couple of helicopters there and they've obviously brought reinforcements. But, um, but we'll get there in a couple of minutes because... Uh, we cut back to the boneyard now, Fiend, Sarah and Kelly walking through a very large rib cage, and we get that fantastic pan right uh, past the ribs as they become pipes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's that, they've got that mist, those mist machines blowing in the background, just making that sort of fog, just to give mm-hmm. that jungle a bit more of atmosphere. Yeah, it's great. And one thing I love that we never get to see very much of is this curved apatosaurus neck that we see off to the side here. Yeah, they... And it kind of goes in and just disappears. Yeah, it's almost like the, the animals either leant up against the pipes and died there or has been washed up against them. Because um, mm-hmm. it's a nice transition from those ribs into the uh, the pipes for the geothermal power station. What what they're actually doing there is unclear whether there's a vent there and they're steam, or carrying steam back into the turbine or... In one of the... Uh, Sliders episodes we're going to look at a little bit later. Um, they shoot a gun. A gunshot actually pierces one of those pipes, and steam comes out. Now that's obviously something they've done for that, but they've maybe followed on that theory as well um, for production there. But but then where we when uh, about halfway along there's a broken section uh, where you can see the top of the pipe. It's actually hollow inside, so the pipes are empty um, and not actually carrying anything. So. Mm-hmm that would sort of lean to the fact that, okay, well, they're not carrying steam for the turbine because we're about to get power in a minute, or we've got power on, so they're not um, transferring anything to the power plant. But as as they sort of continue to walk, we get get to see the first red light from the perimeter fence as well, sort of up above the pipes. 
And mm. um, as they turn left and headed, head for a defence, he walks out from under them and onto the road. And you can see the floodlights shining through the mist. One appears to be on the kiln shed, pointing down at the uh, the pipes and all that, where the um, where the supposed power plant is. And uh, we mm-hmm. get a reveal of those perimeter gates as Sarah Kelly and Ian sort of walk through them uh, in the same style as those perimeter gates we seen at the start of Jurassic Park and then later yeah, when Nedry fact, steals the embryos. In fact, I would not doubt that those are the same gates that the Jeeps drive through at the beginning when they first arrive on the island. And they just kind of messed them up a bit to make them look old, you know? Mm. Just yeah. reusing set pieces. Yeah, well, it's a very simple structure, so... It mm-hmm. was probably packed away in parts. It would have had to be in, in pieces to get it to that um, waterfall location just to set up. There's also a nice bit of continuity here that they kept this style, you know? It shows that they're, it's it's made by the same company they made Jurassic Park. You know, it's not a whole new architectural style. Yeah, and that's that was one of my gripes with Jurassic World, with those gates the boys crashed through on the Jeep. They should have been this style of gate. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've seen this in two films now where it's established to be um, the gates you have on a perimeter fence or on any fence, just the twin gates, so you can go in, close the gate behind you and open the inside gate so no animals can escape. Um, actually, I'm not going to gripe about that, only because that's actually a different gate style that Nedry goes through in Jurassic Park. We don't see the full, we don't see it in the full height in Jurassic Park in the final version because of the top being cut off for the uh, widescreen edition. But if you watch the full 35mm, those gates are shorter than the ones that the Jeeps drive through at the beginning. Oh, okay. They're about the, si- they're about the right size as the ones that uh, that Jeep crashes through in Jurassic World. All right, because the, um, the perimeter gates we see have got actual gates at either end of that cage you drive through, that tunnel, mm-hmm. um, where... The second set, well, after Nedry goes through the main gate, then goes to the second set of gates. There's actually like a, um, uh, what would you call it? So like the barriers you get in car parks at the start, at the first mm-hmm. section of the tunnel, um, with your warning yeah. signs on it that he pushes pushes open, then he walks into the tunnel, and then push opens the sort of the big gates at the end, and then drives mm-hmm. through. Um, so there, yeah, that's another another design. That's not the same as what we see here. This is. The, uh, the gates on either end again. So, yeah, you're right. There has been a little bit of a um, difference in the uh, in the engineering and construction of them. So, all right, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll go with that. We don't get the pan up above the gates, though, and get the uh, engine, we make your future here. That's later on when the helicopter flows over. Mm-hmm. One thing I do like is the, that there's puddles everywhere. So, kind of another again, a nice conti- bit of continuity. It's not dry dirt. It's kind of muddy. As if you, as if there had just been a rainstorm across the island. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's yeah. not quite soaked, like it's a fresh rainstorm, but it shows that there had been a rainstorm recently. Mm. You know? Yeah, and I love here too. It's got the rusty danger ten thousand volt sign on the gates as well. Mm-hmm. Just that little bit more continuity back to Jurassic Park. But um, as they enter the village, we see Sarah and Kelly holding hands here as they walk through that tunnel of the gates, um, obviously both scared and sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, consoling with each other? No. Sort of just trying to look out for each other. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get a, um, we look past them and see the operations building at the far end of the compound sort of glowing a dull orange of it all being lit up. Um, and then we get a similar shot from the operations building looking down at the street as they walk into the village. 
which is a little bit lower than what we've seen with Nick earlier, because this time you can see the uh, the red lights of the fence glowing, um, floodlights mm-hmm. on at the gas pumps, uh, the lights in the garage are on, and uh, you can also see here that the water tower is still standing, or majority of that structure is still upright anyway. Yeah, but the top half has uh, is still standing, but if you look closely, you can see that the um, you can see that the pipe that pumps the water in the center of the water tower is actually bent towards the top. So, and then you can see the top of it laying off to the side of the main tower. Mm. Yep. Kind of just jumbled and twisted there. Yeah, and I wonder if it had some sort of roof on top of it because we're going to get to next minute where um, the raptors appear and you've got those roof sections on the ground that Ian and Co sort of hide behind after Sarah gets knocked to the ground. Um, mm-hmm. They don't really belong to any buildings there that we see, um, and we'll get to it in a minute, but the original concept actually had a, like a bus terminal or bus shelter in the middle of the street. Um, yeah, and those true. And those shades were sort of that collapsed, but or that roof collapsed. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, because the concept stuff, even the miniatures we've seen for the village had that water tower laying down across the main street and half up the gas yeah. station because it sort of become... Uh, needed for an action scene at the end of the film, but uh, for some reason here they've just decided to keep mo- the majority of the water tower erected. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm now I'm glad that you mentioned the Raptors appear because that's the name of the soundtrack that we get. Oh yes, <laughs> and I love that soundtrack. It's so that whatever horns Williams is using, it sounds so animalistic and almost sounds like a dying creature. And we get that just as it pa- we pass and the Apatosaurus bones transform into the pipes, mm. and it's just that perfect mix of imagery and sound as the dying remains of the dinosaurs turns into the dying remains of InGen. Yeah, know? and you get that, whether it's a violin or some sort of horned instrument, just that sort of like that rusty hinge squeak whale sort mm-hmm. of sound that just yeah. as you sort of see the village and they walk in... Um, and yeah, it's just it's just fantastic. And all the time here, while they're walking in, you've got it sort of slowly playing in the background, just that ominous music. Um, mm-hmm. We also there's a fallen power pole just inside the gate as well, which is leaning on one of those sections of roof I was talking about before, where obviously, or presumably, um, part of the roof on top of the water tank. Mm-hmm. But um, the camera shot changes to lower down to street level. Um, which still seems to be from the operations building end, but um, you can see ferns sort of coming onto the screen and the, those handrails that are along the front verandas of the operations building. And uh, we get a little reverse joke to what we've seen earlier with Nick yelling out, Nick, Nick Van Owen, <laughs> which yeah, he, he made the comment to Nick earlier. How many series do you think are on this island? And now how many Nicks do you think they're on this island? <laughs> Especially after they just spent a day or two with the, uh, the hunters sort of walking towards... The operations building, you'd think, uh, okay, maybe there's another Nick that we don't know of. But, yeah, um, yeah we get a good look at the gates here again, the floodlights illum- illuminating the uh, pipes around the jungle. And then we get a camera shot again as the camera pulls back as Sarah walks past an abandoned vehicle, which, uh, looking at the Internet Movie Vehicles database, is a 1981 Chevrolet Suburban. Uh, I had one. Not on myself, but my dad had one. Yeah, and I was sort of looking at it like an 81, that's that's a pretty old car to sort of be there, and especially when we get to the um, 
the I think it's the International Scout that's parked actually parked in the garage. Sort of old seventies, early eighties vehicles, but when you think about it, this would have been in operation late eighties, early or nineteen nineties. So they're not that old a vehicle to be there and to be no. used as support vehicles. It wasn't like Jurassic Park where Hammond spared no expense and they had brand new tour vehicles and that for the guests. They'll yeah, those older vehicles being used as well, and it's sort of one of those things with Jurassic World, the park had been open for 10 years, yet when we see it, everything's brand new and uh, pristine, but then we get other vehicles like the uh, the work truck and that that the IREX flips over uh, later on that are sort of those older vehicles that would have been there and would have been brand new when the park opened. Mm-hmm. Also, as Sarah's walking here too at the gates, we see a yellow vehicle sort of parked over amongst the ferns just inside the fence. I've, I've been searching it high and, high and wide, and the best I can discover it's either a Mercury or a Douglas 6,000 pound gas powered aircraft tractor or similar um, this version's uh, gas powered or the LP gas one which has got the gas bottle straps on its rear um, I haven't been able to find any 90s or even 80s versions that have the gas bottle mounted on the rear like that mainly because they're an aircraft tow motor so you don't want the gas bottle at the rear of it where if there's any sort of incident that gas bottle's right under the nose of the aircraft but mm-hmm. um I haven't been able to find any anything, and I've been I've been looking. I've spent four and a half hours the other night on YouTube looking at people's holiday vacation videos from Universal Studios in the backlot, just seeing if they were used for something on that backlot tour, but come up completely empty. So it continue to be a mystery. <laughs> I've got no idea what what they're there for, why they'd be there with for InGen, considering they mm-hmm. they really need to stay on paved roads. Because of their weight, they've got no suspension, and most have rubber tyres, so there's no... Uh, when they get bogged, they get bogged really bad, so you really want to keep them on the asphalt, so... Yeah, true. Yeah. Now, I personally, and uh, yours sounds more plausible just because of the shape, but I always thought they were a gas-powered carry deck, which is like a small kind of crane that you can use to lift tyres and um, engines and stuff like that that would allow you general maintenance around there yeah you know? yeah and it's it's more than possible because again we only see these rear sections it's only the uh the next one we see it's actually parked in the garage where the back window's broken you can see the steering wheel so it's sort of you can guess that the nose is still pointing forward into the into the garage itself but mm-hmm. um and again that would explain why the gas the gas tanks are on exposed and on the rear of the, or on the front of the vehicle as we see it not the back if they've mm-hmm. got a deck there, so that's just one of those mysteries. Like the one that's parked in the garage when I lightened up the image, you can actually see it's got the dual tires on it, not the, just a single rear tires as well. So yeah, it's a mystery. I don't know. I, they wouldn't be used for construction or anything on the island, not in the jungle anyway. They'd they'd get bogged. So another one of those little mysteries yep. of the film. Yeah, and if they're as bad as you say they are, getting bogged down, I doubt they'd be used for transporting any of the animals either. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Maybe they could have... Well, we never see how they transport that raptor cage. Um, we never see any vehicles capable of doing it in the here or Jurassic Park 3 either, so... Well, in um, the first Jurassic Park, they're using a gas-powered forklift. Yeah, and that's... That sort of... Forklifts come under the same sort of um, thing as these tow motors because, again, solid rubber wheels, no yeah. suspension, low to the ground. Fair enough at the raptor enclosure, it's on some hard-packed dirt there but that forklift didn't drive from the stock <laughs> to to the raptor pen which is um, 
funny because I mean you do see it coming out of the jungle. Yeah. You know? Yep. It's it's suspense. <laughs> let's let's not look at the plot too hard. <laughs> let's not uh, let's not go uh, high heels on this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, getting back to the minute as we end here, the uh, camera pulls back, showing the uh, the suburban, and um, Ian and Kelly are walking ahead, and that's where the minute ends. We don't actually see any animals come in from the from the gates. That's uh, that's the next minute. Mm-hmm. But um, just briefly, the road to here with the shooting script. As I said a few minutes ago, Nick sort of running ahead was an addition to this and not uh, in the actual script. They walk through the boneyard, sort of Ian points and says, look, there it is, and you can see the ruins off in the distance in the moonlight, which I would have loved to see, but we uh, we discussed that a couple of minutes ago. They sort of start running to the village, then we cut back to the ruined camp and the flap of canvas from the tent sort of moves as uh, Ludlow comes out of his hiding spot. Um, we talked a couple of minutes ago about that ruined tent behind Ludlow. When we cut back to there, I wonder if... Maybe there's a couple of shots before that that were cut of him actually coming out from under that tent. Or if it was storyboard that way but just wasn't filmed. That's a possibility. I mean, I know that there's a lot of times where there's just little bits uh, before the scene shot that the camera captures that they just never even include. And a lot of times that's... Yeah. That ends up as B-roll. Yeah, well, we got um, notification of the 4K franchise collection that's currently out at um, Amazon, I think, but um, sort of all the behind-the-scenes stuff seems to be pretty much par for the course of what we've already got, except for, I think, Jurassic Park 3's got an extra feature on there um, and something for Jurassic World, for, uh, Jurassic World. but um, sort of one of those things where we want to see these deleted scenes come back. A lot of the times, they're not actually full scenes at all. They're just, as you said, there's, they just take a couple of seconds from either side of a scene just to shorten and tighten mm-hmm. things up a little bit. Um, I know um, in the in the film Halloween, which Dean Cundey worked on as a cinematographer, the entire ending, there's a montage at the very end, the entire thing was done with B-roll. They just cut from other p- scenes. And it's just little seconds yeah. before, the, before the scene started or before, after the scene ended that they, just ch- that they just stitched together and created an entire 30 seconds of B-roll montage footage. And it's perfect because then they overlay the mask breathing sound over it with the Halloween theme. And it's just like the perfect ending. <laughs> yeah. You know? But um, Ludlow sort of emerges from your hiding spot and has a look around. Um, and he sort of he sees the Rex and uh, his eyes go as wide as saucers and his mouth agape and uh, begins to get that smile of a kid on Christmas morning, realizing that the Rex is theirs. Um, but sort of back with the four survivors, they move past the ribcage and notice it's not bone anymore, but twisted rotted machinery. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of come over a small rise and can see the see the village again. Malcolm has his line, the jungle's always ready to return. And uh, Nick points to the four-story building at the end of the compound, saying that's got to be the operations building, the communication centre is inside. Um, again, without Roland or Ludlow being with, with them there, that's sort of they move on and do that. But they start walking down the street, and as they approach the operations building, there's that the signs actually above the door saying "Ingen Bioengineering, we make your future." So they put it there in the shooting script, but we don't get to see it until a little bit later on the gates. And as they get closer to the building, a raptor actually leaps onto a fallen tree behind them, but the group doesn't see it or hear it. Now that would have been cool to see. Yeah, the raptors sort of appear a lot slower and um, don't sort of spring spring into mm-hmm. action as much in the shooting script as. Uh, that, but um, in the pre-San Diego script, after the Long Grass attack, uh, 
Ian Rowan and the survivors returned to the hunters' camp to load up and set off for the village. After they climb down the ridge, they come across the Valley of Death, which we talked about. Um, Rowan sees a freshly killed mm-hmm. hadrosaur, which um, comes back a little bit later. And again, from their rise, they can look down over the the plane into the village and Rowan asks, where's the power and radio? Ludlow points to the big building at the end and says it's the operations building. They enter the town, passing the gas station, vines sort of wrapped around the gas pumps. And in both scripts, it's a little bit more overgrown than what we actually see in the movie. Um, yeah, they mentioned that there's roots. Don't they say that there's roots all mm. over the ground that make it almost impossible to pass? Yeah, yep. And then they uh, they pass the fallen water tower, which we discussed before. Um, and they start walking past some large greyish lumps dotted all around the, mm-hmm. on the ground. Um, Ian taps on one, and it's like hard rock. Nick asks if it's lava. Ian replies he doesn't know what they are. Um, but they reach the end of the street and stop at the front of the operations building, and that's sort of where we'll leave both scripts for a little bit because it doesn't pick up again until after um, everyone goes running around the town getting chased by raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just interesting, sort of, those, that um, large grey lumps sort of turn up here and we see much the same as they appear in yeah. Jurassic Park 3 and Grant sort of looking at them and smelling it and <laughs> I was half waiting for him to stick his tongue out and taste <laughs> it as well just to try and figure out what uh, what they were. But... Um, Dave, anything else on 89 you want to talk about before we get out of here for the day? No, I think we're good. Alright. Alright guys, let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. You can email feedback to thelostworldminute at gmail.com. Facebook, The Lost World Minute. Twitter, at The Lost World Minute. And Instagram, The Lost World Minute. Easy to remember. Yeah, yep, very easy to remember. (laughs) Uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life will find a way.